Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. BC here with another episode of Oddcast the Podcast or a World Empowered Dialogues. I have a fantastic conversation lined up for you today. I get to sit down with Nicole and Mariana from the Matthews House. Uh, Matthews House is an amazing nonprofit organization in Larimer County. They're on a mission to empower youth and families by building trusting relationships and providing resources to disrupt, excuse me, to disrupt the cycles of poverty and abuse. Um, Fantastic conversation with a lot of powerful insights and Mariana's story of the cycle of abuse that she was able to escape and reframe her life is jaw-dropping, touching, and very empowering. And I'm really excited to share this with you today and excited for you guys to listen. Before we get into that, I do want to thank our sponsors for this month's uh, silent auction, August. Uh, It's about to close. The bidding for this auction actually ends tomorrow, Thursday, September 2nd at noon. But I want to give a shout out to Shields, Jack's Outdoors Gear, Elkhorn Fly Shop, Christie Sports, Outpost Sunsport, Cowpoke Corral, the YMCA, Gear Age or Garage, Rocky Mountain Adventures, and myself for the incredible donations that they offered for this silent auction. Couldn't have put it together without you. It wouldn't be what it is without you. And these are businesses that have gone above and beyond to support a world empowered and we are very thankful for them. It's a fantastic auction, an incredible package, over $1,400 worth of gear, gifts, gift certificates and gift cards and yeah, super exciting stuff. But without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Well, good morning. I'm excited to have this conversation with the executive director, Nicole, of the Matthews House, and we have a special guest coming in today that I'm really excited for my listeners to get to know. Um, I would like to introduce Nicole and say hello and have you tell us a little bit about Matthews House, get into your story about how you got involved, and then I'll have you introduce to Mariana. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, you did. Perfect. (laughs) Wonderful. Welcome. Hi, my name is Nicole Armstrong, and I would love to tell you about the Matthews House. So the Matthews House was founded in um, 2005, and it was really the philosophy and the dream of our former um, executive director and founder, Jerry Schmitz. She had seen a young man in Old Town, and this young man had was requesting some money from her and she sat down and had a conversation with this individual and determined at that time that he had aged out of the foster care system and that truly there were limited resources in our community to serve that population. So from her journey of looking at retirement at that time, she embarked on a survey of our community and to understand what was needed in our community. And so she quickly identified that there was a lack of resources for kiddos who were aging out of the foster care system or part of other systems, division of youth services, um, judicially, or just at large in our community who needed additional support. So she embarked on developing the Matthews House. And so we opened our doors in late 2005 and um, got our first kiddos really in 2006-ish. It's kind of blurry. It's right at that Christmas time frame. Um, And so we always say we're right around that time period was when we first opened our doors. Jerry always envisioned um, having a house and having a place that was warm and welcoming and not institutionalized looking. And so we had a cute old house in um, downtown Fort Collins that anybody was welcome. The kids were welcome to come during the daytime um, and take showers and to cook a hot meal and have volunteers serve with them. Let's back up real quick. Um, what was Jerry's last name again? Schmitz. Jerry Schmitz. Do I remember correctly? Because I met Jerry when I was a student of FLTI, the mm-hmm. Larimer County Division of Family Leadership Training Institute, and then again when I was a facilitator. Do I remember correctly that she actually invited this young man to live with her for a while? And then... 
She yeah. has had some young men live with her in um, families. So yeah. not particularly this young man. Mm. This young man was not a young man that lived with her. But over the course of her time as executive director, she host. Um, we have a program called Host Homes that are community members who welcome their um, open their home to kiddos. And so she was one of those um, placements. So not particularly this kiddo, but yes, she opened her home multiple times. Um, and you tend to serve what demographic? Like, how do these youth come to you? What is the, kind of the typical background and why are you necessary? So when we started as an agency, our youth that we served were 16 to 21. That was a very particular age group that needed that additional support. We've now and they've been through the system in various ways um, Mm -hmm. through the uh, courts and like what are some of the backgrounds? So initially, when our agency started, (coughs) our the population came to us through the foster care system, through the Division of Youth Services, or judicially, um, through the courts, um, or just at large. So sometimes there are kiddos in our community that fall through the cracks and don't end up in um, the foster care system, but do need that additional support. And so that was really our hallmark programming. It's called our Empowering Youth Programming, and that's really where our roots are planted. Mm. Um, Through that work, though, we started to identify the value add to start going upstream and to really focus on serving families that youth are best when they're with their biological family or birth family. That is where most kids thrive. Mm -hmm. So how do we support those individuals in reaching, um, moving towards self-sufficiency and healthy lifestyles and healthy parenting? And so we started to move upstream and started to work in our Strengthening Families program. Still at that time, we were working with intervention work. And so still working with the lens of serving Um, through the Division of Youth Services, um, judicially, but also through child welfare, so working with parents on reunification or maintenance of their treatment plans. So still in that realm of how do we support youth and families that are system engaged? Um, And that was really in 2010 when we started to do that work and partner deeper with our community partners around how to ensure those family systems could work towards a healthier lifestyle to be able to help the kids thrive. So try to fill in the gaps and cracks left in social services, like the things, the services that they can't provide and the things that they can't do. You guys kind of come in and fill in and help these families and particularly the youth thrive um, in a better environment. Absolutely. Youth and families. So Mm -hmm. really looking at the family structure. How do we support the parents? Often the youth are, their parents have experienced trauma or have had economically, were economically disadvantaged during their childhood. And so they don't have the resources and the tools to help their families move out of that cycle. And so how do we work as an agency to support that transition ongoing. And so that was really the platform of where we were coming from in 2010 when we started to say, how do we serve families better? So that we would mitigate how many youth we would see in our programming. So you can try to get in front of the the problem and be proactive rather than reactive. Correct, yes. So how did you come to be involved, Nicole? So, I came involved, I joined the agency in 2008. Um, So I have been here for 13 years um, and I started as a direct line worker. So we had seven employees at the time. We now have nearly 60, so we've grown exponentially. Um, And so I've worn many different hats along my journey within the agency. So that first step was really working with kiddos who um, were in that foster care system and division of youth services. And through that work, um, continued to grow professionally and opportunities arose within the agency. There's a beautiful opportunity when you start at a new agency to just grow and to learn Mm -hmm. um, in ways and you wear many hats. Um, I remember I would mow the lawn as part of my (laughs) job. I would clean the house. (laughs) Like there was nothing off um, Off off the the table table of what the expectations were when you were 
when you're a small agency. Um, Where were you and what were you doing when you first found out about Matthew's House and how did you come to decide that this is where you were going to spend the next decade and a half? (laughs) Oh gosh, saying a decade and a half. Um, Wow. Um, So I actually was leaving college. Um, So I had done my undergrad work. Um, I have done some internships at a local um, youth serving substance abuse um, agency here in town. And um, my my supervisor happened to know Jerry and okay. had mentioned, Jerry had mentioned they were looking for an employee. Um, my lovely in supervisor said, hey, Nicole, I scheduled you an interview um, today. Today? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know. I always tell people I showed up for my interview in flip-flops and a tank top because that's what I came to my internship for. And I only had about an hour notice that I had an interview. Um, and so I walked um, over to the site and interviewed and fell in love. So I actually didn't know about the Matthews House. Nice. But what I did know about was the federal program Chafee, which was being... Um, administered through the Matthews House. So when they mentioned Chafee is a federal program to support youth transitioning out of foster care. And I had been introduced to that program during my internship. And when I heard through my interview that that was housed within the Matthews House, I was over the moon and so excited because that was something that had really intrigued me during my internship. And so I interviewed um, and the next week they said, why don't you come on board um, and be a part of our agency? So no, I did not seek the agency out or the position out and sometimes you just don't always know how you're going to get your position so one of my favorite quotes is we usually meet our destiny on the path that we chose to avoid it and it's (laughs) Pretty interesting. It sounds divine and serendipitous. <laughs> and apparently attire doesn't matter when you show up to an interview. You're like, yeah, when you're in the right place, you can't say the wrong thing to the right person or the right thing to the wrong person. And you can't wear the wrong attire, apparently, when you're where you're supposed to be. So You can't. And I am one of those people who I very much remember certain things. And I still have that shirt that I interviewed in at home. You should frame it. It might sound crazy, but I do have that shirt just because I think I had no idea that that interview and that simple action from my supervisor would lead me to where I am currently. And I actually reached out to her recently um, and I just thanked her. Um, We haven't been in contact for quite a long time, but I was able to teach her um, and be able to just say thank you for your simple gesture because sometimes we as humans don't know what we're giving to other people and the gift we're giving um, in the moment. And so I just wanted her to know that she had provided me a gift that has transcended, as you mentioned, a decade and a half almost, um, and through that growth. And so I'm very appreciative of that opportunity. So So I really want to set the intention for this podcast on empowering both our community and society at large and all of our listeners to have a better understanding of how the youth end up in these situations and what we can all do to help course correct and get in front of the problem. So you've been here for a while, obviously um, you have an idea and why do youth often end up in foster care or the social services or in the care of Matthew's house? How do they end up in these positions? So often what we have observed is that it's through no cause of their own. Um, Often it's because of the environmental um, and their family structures and trauma that has been um, passed down year, you know, decades after decades within a family system that impacts the the environment that the youth is living within. Intergenerational transference. Exactly, yes. And so often we need to work on how to teach those new skills, how to support individuals moving out of that um, cycle that they're living within. And so as an agency, that is what we are tasked with. Um, So often our staff are working alongside youth to work towards that independent living and life's 
skills and self-sufficiency um, in helping them understand how to make behavior changes that are different than what they've experienced. Um, we also all know that people need that connection and relationship. That's a crux of our agency is relationships. Um, if you can have that foundational knowledge and supportive system in play, then you know from there that you can move forward and someone is believing in you and someone is consistent in your um, achievement. And so that is really valuable for our agency. And so often the youth that we work with, we see long-term engagement with our agency because of the value of that relationship. Um, relationships surpass anything else traditionally. Right. Um, and I've heard so, it, it's been said that we are the sum of our five closest friends. Mm -hmm. So it's our network. Um, I would like to get the opinion of our friend sitting to your right. Would you like to introduce? <laughs> yes, I'd love to introduce Mariana. So um, this is Mariana Colorado, and Mariana has a beautiful story of how she landed to um, her engagement with our agency and how it's transformed into her current role and some of the advocacy that she does within our community, but also nationally on some of the committees that she works within um, to support youth in transition. So welcome, Mariana. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to hear about your story, your background, and your perspective, having been through it yourself. So this is a treat. I wasn't planning on getting to have two brilliant minds in front of me today. So good morning. Good morning. Um, my name is Mariana. Um, like Nicole said, I came to the Matthews House when I was going to emancipate um, the Department of Human Services, I believe at 19 um, okay. was when I was first introduced to the Matthews House. Um, Let's rewind even further because your story is much yes, deeper it, and more. It's so much deeper. It starts way before 19. And <laughs> yes. I, I understand <laughs> that you've been involved with Realities for Children yes. and that you were a recipient of the Triumph Award. So let's rewind to a little bit, if you're willing yeah. to share a little bit of, of your experience growing up and how you ended up in that system um, talk about what the Triumph Awards is and, and so on so yeah let's Sweet. hear that okay if I'll rewind really, yes, I'll really. rewind no worries so I actually um, came from Mexico at a very young age um, I believe I was seven when I came um, and so my parents traditionally really really worked hard to provide for us but while they were trying because they were migrant migrants mm -hmm. um and so when they were trying to work hard for us the lack of education the lack of um we were just lacking a lot of stuff at family home. structure because family they structure. were out working yes. trying to provide yes yeah, so we were lacking a lot of things. And so <clears throat> when you're that young, you start to grow up and you start, you know, curiosity hits. And so you start, you know, wondering about things. And so that's how my journey started. I actually- Experimenting and playing and- Yes, and then <laughs> I ended up getting in a lot of trouble in school. I was starting to have behavioral problems. And so um, my parents really didn't know what to do. And so, that caused a lot of um, issues at home where mm -hmm. abuse was happening because in the Mexican culture, you know, the way they did discipline is um, by hitting you or, you know, smacking you. They strongly believe in that. And so here in America, they don't do that. You don't slap your kid or you don't beat them up to not get anymore. their attention. <laughs> anyway. It's not socially acceptable anymore. <laughs> it's not. So... I was getting abused constantly within my home and so neighbors would hear it and so that's how my journey started with the foster care system was they were making these reports and so but to be honest with you the Department of Human Services never paid attention to any of those calls until I was about 14 okay. is when they started coming into my house because I was running away I was on probation I was really venturing into gangs and doing really inappropriate behaviors to the point that I stole a pair of shoes to initiate a gang. Um, and so that started happening. And so Department of Human Services was like, okay, something's happening in this home. So 
they came in and tried to help my family. So the first time that I was placed in the foster care system, I it was like a temporary situation um, where I was home from like Monday through Friday and I would stay there because of my school schedule and then on the weekends I would be removed and sent to my foster home and that lasted for about I don't know maybe six months because they noticed an improvement in my behavior and then I was placed back home but mm. then things didn't really go well they they started escalating again yeah. and so I started having issues again and so to the point that I actually had a pregnancy scare at the age of 50, I think I was 14 actually, and I ended up going to this doctor's office and I found my biological sister there and then she called my mom and my dad, what is she doing here? So that caused a lot of chaos to the point that my dad got home and I got beat up very bad. and. Um, Till this day, I still recall when he was trying to blow air in my face and was telling me that he was really, really sorry. And I'll never forget that. But he he really realized what he had made, what he had caused was damaged. And after that, I was not allowed to go to school because I was severely bruised. Were you um, hospitalized? I was after not. That event? Yeah. I was not. But along with that story, it sounds like you were unconscious, though. Yeah. Trying to bring you to by blowing an air mm -hmm. in your face. Because he had, I think he had knocked the not wind, yeah. my air, and so I had, I was starting to turn blue, and I think he realized that what he had done was you know a big mistake but along with that you know my parents really tried to work really really hard to provide for us and so my mom started doing things that were not correct or were illegal so my mom was actually um, forcing me to do fake IDs to get profit and so every time I wouldn't do that then I would get abused and so um, I feel like it was a cycle of oppression um, at this point and so I was still working closely with the um, a caseworker um, okay. and so I built the guts to tell her what was really happening in my home and the abuse that I was experiencing and just a lot of awful things that I was going through and so I had called her and I said, ah, her name was Amy. I told her, hey, this is what's really happening in my home. You know, I don't know what to do. Can you please help me? And so we made a plan and my plan was to go to school the next day. It was for me to bring evidence of what I was doing at home. And so I did. And so I had uh, in, I think, he, I don't know if he was an FBI agent or if he was uh, an investigator with a police department but he met me at the principal's office and that's how my journey really began and that's when they really thought okay we need to do something for this girl so I was removed from my home at that time what ended up with your parents so my parents um, ended up leaving the country within I want to say I got removed in September of 209 and then back to back literally i want to say maybe december ish is when i found out that they had left the country they went back to mexico on the run because of the criminal charges criminal charges they were afraid and so they didn't know better their thinking was i had younger siblings and they were kind of prioritized and so they thought it would be best for them to go back to mexico so that's what happened Okay, and how long ago was that? Oh, nine? So Too 12 long. years ago? 12 years ago. Are you in contact with them now? <laughs> yes. Okay. I started uh, the, I call it my healing journey. Um, and uh, I want to say three years ago, I went back to Mexico for the first time. And I am now trying to have a better relationship with my mom, you okay. know, because everybody makes mistakes. No one is perfect. So right. I. I'm working on that relationship with her. It's hard because, you know, in the Mexican culture, 
pride is a huge thing and they never apologize for anything that's wrong mm. so i accepted her apology although she never gave me one. Oh, you had yes to concoct an apology in your yeah, own mind in my own mind oh she's yeah. sorry and i forgive her <laughs> yes i but bet that yeah. took a little mental gymnastics yes it was hard but i i also have a daughter of my own and i think she taught me that no parent is perfect and every parent tried and so i think that's why it's really important for me to work a relationship with my mom because you know i'm in the system i'm trying to break the cycle of oppression with my own daughter you know and i think it takes a really like a different strength to be able to do that and so i i think in my mind what if i did that to my daughter what if i'm doing that to her i would want her to forgive me because i'm not perfect right and we can't export what we don't own we can't teach what we don't know and all we do is all we've been taught yeah. you know so if this is the way that they were raised and what they were taught was how to be a parent mm -hmm. then naturally that's how they would go about it yeah. i'm curious if you feel like because you said that social service was involved at an early period and they never really did anything. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's something, if they had intervened earlier, could they have changed the outcome? Could they have made this better? What could have been done in your particular situation before we start talking about youth at large and, and all of the youth that Matthew's House serves? In your particular situation, what do you think could have been done either from your family or social services or both that could have changed uh, the outcome or the path that you guys were going on? I really think that the resources that we offer families now would have benefited my family. Okay. In what um, way? What in, resources and... In the way of... Ooh, and this is a tough one to think about. Um, but I think... The services of like parenting for example we have a program that's parents cafe where they teach the five the I, strengthening factors um there's five protective factors that increase um it helps mitigate um child abuse and neglect concerns what are those five factors the okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry we'll, we'll get the pamphlet later <laughs> Don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> they made to put you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, but these factors are determined as um, it's they're evidence based. They they're about relationship, concrete supports, developmental needs, um, and really focusing on how do we increase parents' um, resiliency and ability to have supportive services and family supportive services and resources but also how does the community support them within that um, and so the parent cafe as mariana is speaking about it really serves as a place where families and parents can come in and explore um, how to in improve their parenting how to ensure like their parenting um that they're doing parents want to be successful at being parenting but there is no handbook to it and as mariana described her own journey you don't always have the upbringing and knowledge of how to parent and so you often we all get exhausted i'm a parent of three you get exhausted at the end of the day and you become frustrated and so how do you build those factors in your life so that you don't end up blowing your top and end up hurting your children or saying things that you don't need to and how do you work internally but that then that translates into your family system it seems to me that would be a great challenge to convince people to release their ego and believe that there's room for improvement I, I know a lot of parents that could use a handbook, they could, they could use a class or the parent cafe, but to get them to admit that maybe they're not doing the greatest job as a parent is a huge struggle. Um, how do you overcome that before, is, let me rephrase that, is there a way to help overcome that before um, social services in, is involved before trauma has happened before there's abuse and neglect and things like that um, is there a way to help 
in your opinion, people to see that there's more room for improvement and seek out opportunities like this? So we as an agency moved into a prevention realm in 2012 because we believe strongly in what you're saying is how do you serve families and kiddos before they become system engaged because really youth and families thrive when they have those resources whether they're concrete resources or if they are learning how to improve their lifestyle and improve towards self-sufficiency in their parenting. Um, It's a humbling experience. It's humbling for anybody to ask for help. Um, It's a place of vulnerability that takes a lot of strength to do. Just as you heard Mariana share her story today, that has been a pathway um, of growth for her in vulnerability over the years to be able to share these are opportunities and for her to share about her own parenting. We all have skeletons in our closet that we don't want to share with other people. We want to look like we're utopic and we're perfect and everything is great. And so leading by example is a really great way to help individuals relax around parenting. So when families, traditionally when those parents come to this um, situ- a parent cafe, their guards are up, right? Like, "Mm, I'm just gonna dip my toe in here and give you a little bit of my parenting just to see how people react. The premise of Parent Cafe is it's not to tell you what you need to do. It's not a curriculum-based model. It's really about self-reflection and also hearing how others have um, dealt with similar situations. You only use I statements. You never tell someone what they should be doing. And so it's also, often parents feel isolated and alone in their own situation and so when they're able to have dialogue and fellowship with other parents they start to realize they're not alone and so again it goes back to that philosophy of relationship and community you need that to be able to move forward and help individuals move towards you know self-sufficiency and thriving i love parent cafes and i can go sit there as a parent myself and learn at the same capacity as anybody else. Um, And it's incredibly refreshing to be part of that. Our cafes are modeled after we have a dad's cafe. Mm. So sometimes it's really helpful. We also have a Spanish cafe or we have parents of tykes, we call it for little guys, because we all go through those stages as parents um, that it's helpful to have that kind of team and tribe that you can depend on on a regular basis and you're having a meal and your kids are learning it we also do a two-generational um cafe where youth adolescents are learning similar um factors and the parents are learning and then they come together and they reflect together about how they're learning together so there's a a rich opportunity for parents and youth to learn together and also have self-reflection and build relationship and community Um, which is really, I believe strongly in the framework of why we move upstream even further into a prevention realm versus staying with intervention and only serving youth who come into our program through the foster care system. I would love to not serve, I'd love for that number to be very small within our agency. Two years ago, we surpassed the number of youth um, and families we served. Um, We went past that into prevention was higher in the number of youth (coughs) and families we served than intervention. That was a huge moment for our agency to reflect that our work is transforming into that prevention realm. So you're saying the seesaw kind of teetered to the other side? Mm -hmm. Nice. So that you is see a big people, milestone. You, you see people reaching out. You see people desiring that um, support. And I think um, as Mariana's reflecting, in 2010, our community was in a different state than it is now um, within the human service sector. Um, How so? There's a lot more awareness around the value around prevention, where in 2010, we were just starting to identify the importance and the value of how to serve the family unit, how to serve um, not just the one individual, but really looking at a multi-generational approach to the work that you do. And so you see a decade later, some of that work that is being done and you start to see different pathways. Um, Even our local Department of Human Services have 
very clear pathways for families where they start to say, does this really need to go into the court system or can we do other alternative interventions to see if that will support the family and transform the family back and support the family in their further endeavors um, in parenting and well-being. And so our system has morphed and changed over the years to be not as punitive and brought, you know, kids going into the care of the department, but more of how do we work with that family system ongoing. Fantastic. Do you feel like it could have happened any other way? Because part of my brain is wondering, like, this feels a little bit like a natural progression. So people have gone through the system at an earlier age and now they're becoming parents themselves and they're seeing these opportunities for improvements, as you put it, um, that wouldn't have happened if the system hadn't been structured the way that it was. Um, I guess I'm trying to hone in on the actual question here. <laughs> I do um, think I do think that our journey through our human service pathway had to be the way it was. Um, I think Larimer County is a pretty progressive community when it comes to service delivery around human services. Um, when you look at other counties, um, they are they do not have the rich um, history and the work in the deployment of resources to nonprofits to support the family structure in a prevention way. You're often rewarded for intervention. You're not rewarded for prevention because you it's not as easy to measure. You can't measure. I can't measure if Mariana, by chance, okay, if her family had come into the system that her parents given these resources, she wouldn't have come into the care of the department. You just don't know that. You don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. Um, And so it's really can, it can be a challenging place. And so we as a community have to continue to focus on community indicators and how do we look at data differently that is showing us ways that youth and families are thriving. And that's over a longer time period, right? You don't just get to know Traditionally, when you, a child goes into child welfare, you, you may start to see improvements in that child's behavior. Mariana illustrated that, that she was placed in that care, and so we saw that immediately. Behavior change for biological parents takes longer time, and for it to maintain, and for it to be reinforced. And so we need to be able to give that longer time to families, and if we can get them earlier, that's helpful and successful. Prevention work in our community is 50% cheaper than it is for intervention. It is way more cost effective for us to work with families and youth um, outside of systems than it is for us to work with them in the system. So when you're looking at the resource deployment, while you're in that train, that change system of going from intervention to prevention, yeah, it's costly. Everything costs money when you're working in human services. But the long-term impact, when you start to look at how do we achieve um, affordable housing, helping individuals graduate high school, helping individuals who are in that economically disadvantaged bucket reach success, and so then they have their um, jobs, and so they're not entering other fields. Um, you know, they're not entering the judicial system as an adult. They're not dependent on benefits in our community. So. We're on a journey. And they're not resorting to criminal activity like drugs or forgery or identity theft or Mm -hmm. prostitution or anything like that. So we're really on that journey. And it's time. It just takes time. The one thing that we're seeing is opportunity for our families to continue to grow and for us to get into spaces earlier on. Um, And that's a really important element. Um, I think Mariana really illustrates the value of how you, the relationships you have and the, and the opportunities that they present to themselves, you present to the person and how you take advantage of them. Mariana's resiliency is incredible. She doesn't give herself enough credit. Um, I had the opportunity to, to work with Mariana as a direct line worker and that was an incredible experience. And now to have Mariana sitting with us as our administrative executive administrative assistant um, and has been for the last five years has been phenomenal um, to work alongside and to have the relationship and she now pours back into me as a foster parent of an adolescent myself 
when I have questions, I'm like, hey, Mariana, um, <laughs> help. help, I need some help, I need some parenting of how to help this situation. And so I think that um, goes into Mariana's advocacy. So Mariana just doesn't do our executive administration. She also sits on several different boards in our community um, and also on a national level to help with reform and advocacy um, within um youth who are aging out of foster care, but just youth in general um, and the well-being of youth. And so she has, she's incredible. Yeah, that's a really tricky situation, that aging out issue. Um, I had friends that work for the Department of Human Services, and I forget the place in Greeley, but uh, they would go into these assisted living homes and a lot of times it was incredibly beneficial to them to be out of the home environment where their family or gang members or drug addicts or something like that and they really start to thrive and change their attitudes and behaviors and then they turn 18 and they age out of the program and they've got nowhere to go but on the street or back into that environment. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you guys do to mitigate that, to avoid those situations? Because I understand you have other programs. <laughs> we, so we definitely, um, so we have a federal program. There's a federal program called Chafee, um, and it's designed to support kids who are aging out of the foster care system. How, what, what does um, Chafee do to support kids that are aging out? So they provide direct line support. So we have workers who um, work with those individuals on housing, employment, education, and helping them access that. There's also additional, as we were talking about, in the past decade, there's been additional knowledge around how do we support kids who are aging out, similar to what you're describing, um, where we've implemented housing vouchers. So we now have a slew of housing vouchers when a youth is approaching that age of aging out um, or graduation of high school. So traditionally, the system will say graduate high school or you know turn 18, kind of where does that fall? Um, and then they're able to utilize a housing voucher where they're paying 30% of their housing or their income towards housing for up to five years. So really helping with that transitional time that's necessary for youth to get their bearings. Um, and even then that's challenging. And so 30% can, say a child is only working 20 hours, they only have to pay 30% of their rent um, towards um, their housing and so and the other 70 is covered by the program exactly okay. so in it ebbs and flows dependent on how you know the income of the individual additionally so that eliminates the economic stress that tends to coerce or push a person towards poor behavior is that the premise of the program like the mm -hmm. why it was created and, and how it helps in this situation absolutely so the whole goal of the program is to really focus on um, supporting youth in having stability we know that if youth have stable housing they're able to work on these other areas um, and focus their energy on employment or education now if you add in Larimer County our affordable housing availability it's pretty limited and so there are still things that we're working on um, there are limitations to the voucher you can't just have a $10,000 rent um, and that and you only have to pay 30% um, of your income for it so there are limitations that we continue to have to work within and um, barriers, but it does eliminate. But if you can still think having an individual move into a home, um, a kiddo who's aging out, there's many life experiences on how do you cook, how do you how do you make vegetables. Um, Mariana just texted me the other day and said, "Hey Nicole, does this go in a salad?" Um, and yep. And, and that's okay because we all need parents and support systems to be able to say, yep, that goes in a salad. Nope, that doesn't do that. You know, don't put that in there. Or, hey, these are the tricks and trades that I learned when I moved out on my own. Or these are the staples that you need in your home. And so... I just pushed dish soap in the washing machine. Exactly. <laughs> like, how do you work? So we, even though they may have stability in their housing, they still need relationship to help learn those skills that are needed in those homes. And so our- But we don't have room in our cup to learn those other skills 
until we have that sense of stability and security and understanding that our housing, our basic Maslow hierarchy of need is covered. You know, we Absolutely. know that we have food and we know that we have shelter, then we can pour a little out of the cup and start to absorb some of these other skills. But until we take care of that, there's no room for it. Absolutely. No, you don't. And, and, and really, you learn as you go, right? Um, it's you know, we as an agency do have classes where we offer cooking, but the reality is it's it's really rich when you're able to do it with an individual in your own personal space and you're learning in that opportunity of that um, experience. So I learn, I think about that for our own foster daughter who's 17 of just the rich environment of being able to cook in our home and have my husband and I standing there teaching, um, Last night I made dinner and it was a horrible dinner. I tried, I tested. <laughs> really, it was an experimental. I, I thought I was doing really well with cooked ravioli. Um, no, I didn't do very well. Um, but for a our homemade? no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for trying to make me feel better. Um, I don't know if it succeeded. I may have made you feel worse. <laughs> You're you, like no, no. <laughs> it um, was frozen. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but for our kiddo, for her to see that I made a mistake right. and that when you're cooking, it's okay that like you can try new food or you can try new ways of doing something. And if you don't succeed, it's okay. Um, and it's and, normal. And it's you're normal. Not a failure. And yes. And what would you like in the refrigerator instead? <laughs> um, so I think those are the opportunities that we, when you're in relationship with individuals, you get the chance to experience with them and you get the chance to journey with them. And that's a really powerful place to be. And so our workers are able to journey with the kids and are able to help teach that cleaning. Hey, you know what? Like you may be on food stamps, but here are some organic ways to make your own cleaning supplies, right? Cleaning supplies is expensive. Right. But you can learn how to use you know, products in the grocery store that you can get with your food stamps to make pro you know, cleaning supplies. Like so, vinegar and Dawn or mm -hmm. something like that. So those are things that are just opportunities to work alongside and so our workers and our staff have the opportunity to work with those kiddos we work with about 65 to 70 youth who are in our chafee program so transitioning out of foster care every year and so really working alongside those individuals to find that housing find stability find those resources that they need whether or not they're continuing to live with their supportive foster home, some of them are able to, some of them are not able to, some of them choose to move out pretty rapidly just because that's that's a reminder in an environment that they've been a part of for so long that they want to work independently. And, and they're young, they want their autonomy and freedom. Teenagers are teenagers. They want <laughs> to live. Humans are humans. <laughs> <laughs> we want our independence, we want our autonomy and freedom and to feel like our own individual self. Yes. What do you think, you don't have to guess, what tends to happen in the absence of programs like Chafee when they don't have this support and they don't have Matthew's House to teach them the life skills? What, what is the trajectory for youth today going through this that don't have access to this? I would say our data, so we often, um, we are able to serve some at-large kids. And when I say at-large, that means kids who don't come to us with a funding source that we're able to do through contributions and donations, but also some grants. Um, we have a substantial wait list for our agency across the board right now um, for both family services and for our youth services. So we know- from So there's more need than resource. Absolutely. We consistently see more need than resources um, in the ability for us to access that. And often those kiddos bounce around and aren't able to reach self-sufficiency. They need additional support. And so they end up being homeless and then they end up being transient and um, end up actually then not being not able to meet their full potential um, because they're not able to have those, you know, help from people elevating them and helping them through that process. And so we know that if we're not able to serve um, all the youth who need that additional support and with our community partners, there's a, a, a gamut of community partners in our community that also work tirelessly to serve youth and families in our community. 
but we continue to not have the resources and we know that we'll continue to be, as Mariana says, the oppression of over and over again, we're going to live in this cycle. Um, And we know that the kids will end up possibly in the criminal justice system as adults. Um, We know that they may be homeless, um, that they're not able to move out of um, needing to access benefits consistently. Um, So we know that. And that is what we strive to continue to do every day is to work with youth and families to move them forward um, and continuing to think of resources to help us with that process. So aside from obviously a massive interjection of more funding from the society, what can random quote-unquote normal families do to help support, to help mitigate the challenges that these other families are facing? And why does it matter? Why why should a family of a quote-unquote normal nuclear family care about these situations? Do you have a thought? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, not on this one. I've had lots of thoughts, but not on this one. <laughs> yeah. I, why you should care. We as humans should care about each other and the well-being of each other. Um, that is incredibly um, important in the value of human life. And so we as a community need to continue to elevate each other. Um, and when we think about resources in our community, it can be as simple as if you're able to help us deliver, you know, we've had volunteer opportunities to deliver food boxes. That's a great opportunity with your family to get in the car and drive and drop off. It doesn't take a significant amount of time of yours to do that. We also have individuals who step in to mentor if they're able to do so. Um, We also have individuals who, when we talk about kiddos moving out into their own apartment, also with families, when families move from home, from you know experiencing homelessness to then transitioning into housing, the opportunity, I mean, it's expensive to set up a house. Um, so even like a home, you know, a welcome home basket, we often have those sitting and waiting for us to hand out to youth um, and for us to be able to say, okay, here's your mop, your bucket, your, your Laundry, laundry basket. basket. Here's some laundry soap. Some sheets. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Here's a um, curtain for your shower, um, shower right. so that you're not getting water <laughs> everywhere. Here's some towels. Um, and so we have a whole range. We also have a host home program where kids 18 to 24 who are transitioning in our community who may not be ready to transition to independent living into an apartment. Um, There are host homes that open their home up to youth um, for up to six months and they help with that transitional time. So they're not kids who are part of other systems, they're just youth in our community who need that additional support. And so we're able to place youth in those homes, help them work on those independent living skills in that um, more organic environment and then help them transition. So there's many different ways to engage in our programming. Also, if you're like, you know what? I'm not all about working with people, but I can do some mad stapling or mad envelope (laughs) stuffing. We too have opportunities within that realm Um, because I get it. it. Sometimes not everybody is eager to sit down with kiddos and or families. That's just not their jam and that's okay you can give in other capacities and that's what's valuable is you're still supporting the cause and at the end of the day that's why we're in existence we need that support as much as we need other support i would like to hear from both of you on what you feel is the number one cause for these situations for these uh, family dynamics Mm. having gone through it yourself and knowing, I imagine, uh, several other youth, what would you say, Mariana, is the number one reason that families end up in these situations and youth end up um, going through this? I would say the lack of support. Family or community or both? I feel like it can go into both. Okay. Yeah. Could you expand on that? So what kind of support are you referring to? 
what kind of support do you think would help both from the community and in the family? Would you say belonging? When you say support, would that mean belonging to you also? Yeah. Feeling like you're part of the community? Yeah. Not on the ancillary? Yep. That would be, yeah, belonging. Okay. And what about you? I think that one of the main causes is unresolved trauma. Unresolved, um, unresolved trauma from a variety of reasons. Why, you know, it can be because of physical um, altercations, it can be because of mental health, it can be because of um, generational poverty. It is truly this unresolved um, space and because there tends to be stigma put onto that. And so as Mariana is talking about kind of feeling part of that community and belonging to that community um, in mitigating some of that stigma, that's what will help us move forward mm. um, is when we start to say, we are all humans, we are all people, we all have things in our closet, we all have opportunities We're to grow. We're all fallible, we've exactly. all made mistakes. We've all done this, as Mariana illustrated earlier, forgiveness is really important um, in our healing process, but how do we advance? And so how do we work through that process? Um, and we start to elevate each other and we start to respect each other in that space. And we start to understand that we all are human and we all belong together. Um, that will help transform the cycles that we've been in consistently um, while continuing to pour in other resources. Um, we don't live in a utopic world where if we're all kind to each other, all other things go away. Um, but if we are able to give to each other in a compassionate manner um, and able to to really pour into each other and to understand each other and, and have relationship and journey with each other and understand, we will get further in combating some of the cycles that we have seen historically in our community. Yeah, um, earlier I had asked what you feel quote unquote normal families could do to help mitigate these issues. Um, I think the stigma part of it is a big factor and that is a huge that really tends to come from the quote-unquote normals the stigma around these situations often is based on the judgment of people who think they have the perfect life and the perfect household and I think if we eliminate a lot of that not only will there be less shame and guilt from families that are suffering, but they'll probably also be more inclined to seek out the help, to seek out the teachings, to seek out the classes and the, the parent cafes and things like that if there's less shame, if there's less stigma around it. And you so trying to eliminate that judgment on, wow, you're such a crummy parent, blah, 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 is something that everybody can do whether they want to stuff an envelope or deliver groceries getting rid of that better than that thou attitude and the judgment that we place on other people would have a big impact societally in all areas but it would open up the doors for opportunities for the other families to ask for help and reach out and not feel guilty or shame or regret or any of that other stuff Mariana mentioned pride as a huge factor in especially in the Hispanic community but all of us feel that sense of pride and when we feel like we've done something uh, we tend to cower when we feel like we've made a mistake and we've messed up we tend to try to hide that or hide ourselves mm -hmm. and it's really hard to reach out and ask for help and admit that we've done something wrong or that there's room for improvement when we constantly feel like other people are gonna judge us and look down on us. Mm -hmm. Could you expand on that and how that impact might help societally? I think we all have our biases, right? We, we tend to, we as an agency are focusing on owning our own bias. Um, what what <coughs> do we see? And, and really being transparent and honest with each other. Um, when you have 
genuine relationship with people and you start to accept you as who you are and understand that you have growth opportunity, then it starts to reduce that stigma. Um, we're able to say, well, okay, maybe I am judge- I'm judging this situation because this is the lens or the bias that I have around this. How do I check myself and make sure that I am actually aware of why I'm thinking this way and the pattern that I have? And so we as an agency are embarking on that work right now of how do we each own our own biases? And like, it is hard really to hard. sit in front of people and say, oh, yeah, I took this survey and oh, goodness, like, <laughs> I don't want to tell everybody what my results are. But leading by example of saying it's okay, because what we're learning about our- ourselves is going to make us a better human at the end of the day. And how we use that information to advance ourselves and to expand our knowledge and the resources and the work that we do in the service delivery we do is really important. And so really breaking down our own mental models that have been really prevalent and, and really challenging internally our staff to do that. Um, when we ask our community to do it you know the youth and families that we work with we often ask them to change or you know to make behavior changes um we too have to be at that same place and be in the same playing field of we have to be checking ourselves too of how we can change our behaviors um to help with that stigma um and to reduce it for sure before we close i have a couple final questions i'll start with mariana um what would you say is the number one best or most important lesson that you've learned so far in your life to help you overcome what you've been through and to be where you are today working here? What would you say is the number one most important lesson that you've learned in life that you would like to offer the world and all of our <laughs> listeners? Um, oh, that's a tough one. I could probably name two things. Okay. Um, I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> a bonus lesson. Yes. Um, relationship is really important. Um, building relationships. Um, yeah. I don't know how else I can express that one, but, you know, having relationship with, you know, with people helps you build, you know, supports along the way that, you know, these, like, for example, I have a relationship with Nicole and it's important to me because I know that I can reach out to her at any point um, if I needed help with anything. For example, like the salad. (laughs) (laughs) So I think relationship is really important. Um, And the second thing I would probably say is out of, this entire thing one thing i have learned um is to forgive because we're not perfect always forgive because it's important for sure those are wonderful lessons and i think that being very discerning of whom we have the relationships with probably matters a great deal Mm -hmm. and forgiveness does as much for us as it does for anybody else that we're trying to forgive thank you for being here it's a pleasure to meet you you. what would you say nicole is the number one most important thing lesson that you've learned so far in your life well i'm going to tag into what mariana said i think genuine authentic relationship um in anything that you do i think i have learned over the years within our agency Um, the power of having those authentic, real relationships with kids. Um, They can tell if you're not um, the moment. If you are just a fake, they know right away. Um, The same is for families. When you can genuinely sit with an individual and be empathetic um, and continue to help hold people accountable, that's a very powerful place to be and um, opportunity to be with others. Um, but as I've grown in our agency, I also have learned that with my peers in our community to our donors and our grantors is to have authentic, real relationships. 
that's when you start to see change in our community. When you call, you don't just call upon them when you need something, but you really truly value who they are, what their experiences are, and how you can utilize them, um, not because they can provide a financial element to you, but who they are and what they bring to the table. We all have opportunities to bring things to tables um, and our experiences, to our education, to our knowledge. And that, when you build that authentic relationship and genuine relationship, you're really able to explore that deeper and make change. And that's what's important. And so tagging into Mariana's Everything is around that relationship and belonging and community that is so valuable um, for so many people. A lot of what I'm hearing is learning to value the person above the asset Mm -hmm. and accepting humility. Absolutely. I know there's a lot of talk about vaccines and inoculations these days. I wish that there was one that we could put out there that we can vaccinate people with humility and that we can get rid of some of the judgments and help other people to feel more accepted and welcome in their community. Absolutely. I love what you guys are doing. I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to let me in and share your stories with me and our listeners. And it means a lot. Keep up the great work. And I really, really appreciate and value both of you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Thank you. you. See, what did I tell you? Wasn't that a fantastic conversation? I hope that you guys really got as much out of that as I got from having it. Uh, It was such a pleasure to be able to spend that time face-to-face with Mariana and Nicole. Again, the Matthews House is an incredible organization doing fantastic work in our community. And I hope that you were able to learn something from all this and take that out and apply some of that to your life as you move forward. Again, I wanted to give another shout out to all of our sponsors. Shields, Jack's Outdoor Gear, Elkhorn Fly Shop, Christie Sports, Outpost Sunsport, Cowpo Corral, the YMCA Garage or Gear Age, and Rocky Mountain Adventures, Whitewater Rafting. Um, all of these businesses went above and beyond to support our August Silent Auction with our theme of outdoors gear and uh, really appreciate their belief in us and their willingness to help us make a fantastic silent auction. Uh, Give them your love and support. Show them your business. And we look forward to bringing to you another great conversation here in a week or so. I love and appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will talk to you soon.